Hello, it's Thursday 13th of April. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bowerman and I will be discussing all things adventure travel with our guests, Shannon Stoll. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So today, we're delighted to welcome Shannon Stoll, CEO of the Adventure Travel Trade Association, or the ATTA, ATTA, to discuss the future of adventure-based tourism here in Southeast Asia, in the broader Asia-Pacific region, and of course, worldwide. So Shannon, thanks so much for joining us on the Southeast Asia Travel Show. How are you doing today? And where are you right now? Thanks for having me. I am honored to be on the program, and I am in the high country of Colorado. Beautiful place for adventure. Yes, yes, that's, that's where it was born for me. <laughs> and we'll talk more about that as we go along. But Shannon, firstly, let's talk about backstory about the ATTA. Tell us more about the Adventure Travel Trade Association. When was it founded? Who are its members? And where are they located? Yeah, so, so the, the ATTA started sometime in the 90s and was a, a fairly informal group of people and companies. And, and then in the, uh, in the 2000s, it started to get more serious. People felt like they needed to have more of a voice as a community. And I joined in 2004. And so I've been doing this for 19 years now as of April 1, which uh, I am so happy and cannot imagine doing anything else. And our members are mostly tour operators around the world, both buyers and sellers. So, so both the outbound and the inbound and those who are hybrid and do both. And we're in 103 countries, but we also have a lot of tourism boards that are members. Basically anybody that has a connection to adventure travel is, is uh, involved in the ATTA. So just going back to those early days, was it international from the beginning or was it founded in the U.S.? It was very much a U.S. organization. I would say that when I, when I took over in 2004, it was probably 80% U.S. And I think now we're, we're at probably 40, 40% of U.S. companies. And then it, it branches out around the world. And our, our goal is for the organization to be truly global. Yeah, and I think it's on its way, right? I think the only continent we don't have members right now is um, Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> Those penguins, they keep resisting. <laughs> Get them in the end, yeah. <laughs> so Shannon, um, how does the ATTA define adventure travel? Um, because it's perhaps not what all listeners think it might be, right, when they hear the words adventure. Yeah, um, adventure is definitely a, a personal term for people. Um, we've done a lot of a lot of study with with uh, with both travelers and travel companies, and what we found is that at the base, adventure travel is defined as a trip that involves some sort of cultural experience, some sort of nature immersion, and then activity. And so, so the beauty of it is it's very accessible. So adventure for, let's say, my mother would be different than adventure from my brother, who might have a very different 
set of experiences he wants to do, but it would always come back down to adventure as culture, nature, and activity. So in, in, in our minds, adventure is a very broad category focused on getting people into the outdoors, connecting with the locals and doing something active. It doesn't have to be ice climbing. It could be walking, trekking, hiking. And so I think that's, that's one of the biggest challenges for us is for people not to immediately assume that it's, you know, doing an expedition to the South Pole, for example, or diving deep into the Amazon and, and making it feel like it's very inaccessible for people. So our, our view is that connecting people to nature and culture and doing it actively, that's, that's the core. That's a really good point, Shannon, because one of the terms that tends to get used quite a lot here in Asia Pacific is soft adventure, which I'm never quite sure how that's actually codified or what that exactly means. Where do you sit on the sort of positioning of, of soft adventure? Oh, that's a great question. So, so when I joined the organization, that was, that was part of our evolution was to say things are either adventure or not, which didn't make sense. And then they're either hard adventure, soft adventure, or not adventure, which still felt very exclusive. And so I think soft adventure, in my mind, fits cleanly into the, into the category of activity, nature, and culture. So you could be, you could be 80 years old and doing a hut to hut walk in Ireland. And that is absolutely adventure travel. You could be doing ice climbing in Alaska. That's pretty hardcore adventure travel, but soft adventure and hard adventure. I don't know. I, I also like to think about it how people define it themselves. I've never heard a single person say, oh, I just did a soft adventure trip or I just did a hard adventure trip. No, they said, man, I just had such an adventure. I was in Mexico. I went deep into this, this village. I had tortillas made. I did a long hike. I saw some wildlife. So I, I think we we're evolving as we go, but hard adventure, soft adventure. I think now we can talk about adventure travel as truly being connected to the universe. I love that. Yeah. I think you're, you're so right that it's, um, it's what you were saying at the beginning, right? It's a very personal definition of adventure and what might, you know, be considered very exerting for one person might not be for another person. And um, it's that mentality of exploring perhaps rather than that necessarily like that physical side of it that's so interesting right and the exploring is so different for everybody because of their life experiences yep totally coming yeah. from different places yeah so how did you get into adventure travel shannon well um i i uh i grew up in in the mountains in colorado so my parents released my brother and i we moved from denver we came from the big city and we moved to a small town in the mountains and my parents basically said you know don't don't die. And, and I think that was part of the adventure activity. That wasn't the adventure travel, but that was the opportunity to learn how to bike and hike and explore. And then I, I, through a bunch of set of circumstances, got the opportunity to work in an outdoor 
retail company that was early on the internet. And so we were trying to figure out how do we sell good gear to people who are doing adventures in the outdoors. And that's where it really started for me. That's how I found the ATTA. And I, I realized the ATTA has such an incredible opportunity to be a global connective organization. And that's how I got involved. So we'll talk a little bit in a moment about where the ATTA is going and, and your summit this year, which is in, was in our region. Um, but let's just take a little bit of a step back. You've, you've talked about you've been involved for you know two decades with the ATTTA. When you took over, what sort of position was it in? What, what did you want to, to, to evolve it into? And, and has that been achieved? Well, when, when I stepped in, it was very much still U.S.-focused and... My, my desire was for it to be truly global. And I, I remember about a decade ago, hearing about one of our members from Brazil starting to sell trips to Egypt. And I just thought, this is, this is beautiful. Like we're, we're taking away the polarity of uh, North America and Europe as, as the drivers. And we're actually getting down to basics of helping people understand that Adventure travel is truly for everyone and can go anywhere. And so, you know, in that, in that phase, we, we realized that we were moving away from being a U.S.-based organization offering U.S. product and experiences to truly connecting the world to each other. And was that a case of you going out and promoting the ATTA worldwide? Did you start to notice that more members were coming to you, wanted to join? You know, where was the inflection point? I think it was in the early days, we said yes to everything. So I went to every conference anywhere and started connecting and realizing that there was this opportunity to connect the people that are offering these nature, culture, active experiences with each other all around the world. And so for honestly, you know, I, I would love to say that I had a clear vision from day one. It's, it's not true. I learned as I went and I learned that travel was a much more complicated beast than I had imagined it. And so I've, I've also grown within it within this time to understand that it's endless. And, and we have the opportunity to connect people of the same mindset. And that, to me, that's the most important thing now is connecting people who care about protecting local places and, and the special cultural experiences that cannot have 10 buses roll in and overwhelm it. So I think that's our, our, our mission now is really to connect the the people who really care around the world about selling and buying and promoting that sort of experience. So zooming in a little bit then into the APAC region or Asia, how does Asia compare to the rest of the world when it comes to a maturity for adventure travel? You know, I think like most regions, there's there's a, a whole spectrum of, of actors in the space. So there's those who are absolutely ready and those who need some need some work, and, and that is everywhere. 
there, there's no place exempt from having to figure this out because sustainability, safety, quality of experience, interpretation, these are all things that matter for a really powerful travel experience. So I think that Asia is, in, in, in my assessment, which is also still, I, I will admit, I'm absolutely a beginner. I think there's a lot of room for growth, for good, healthy, productive travel companies and experiences. And I think that the more that, that, the, that the practitioners from around the world interact with each other, the better it gets. So let's say a, a tour operator who owns a lodge in Patagonia has dealt with some very specific issues. And that might be the same for a tour operator in remote China or remote India, where they, they will say, yeah, okay, I've experienced some of that same stuff too. And so I feel like the opportunity is for us to connect all these people together and for them to figure most of it out themselves. Honestly, like we did, we did an event in the Balkans a few years ago, which was a very complicated event and obviously political, social tensions. But at the end of the day, the adventure travel people got together, they solved their issues together and they shared their experiences. And now some of them are doing cross-border tours, which did not exist. So I think that the opportunity in Asia is huge. I think it's just beginning. I think that Asia has, Southeast Asia in particular, has some challenges with mass tourism. And of course, you can't eliminate any, any kind of tourism that, that's an icon or an anchor now. But the opportunity to build smaller and more focused travel experiences is, is real in Southeast Asia. And I, and I feel like we also are just starting to figure that out. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Well, I think you make some really, really good points there, Shannon. I think one of the interesting things that Hannah and I have been discussing and the people that we talk to locally over recent months have noticed that there is a changing mindset since the pandemic. You know, the pandemic hit so hard in this region. We were pretty much closed for two years. If you take China, we were closed for, for three years. And during that time, you know, grounded travelers have rethought what travel means to them and what future experiences they want to have. And it does seem that, you know, there is a, a growing awareness of getting away from the over-touristed sites that you mentioned there, of getting out into nature, of actually doing more with your travel trips, you know, actually getting out to explore local communities, getting out to explore cuisines in, in remote parts of, of the highlands or something like that. And you are starting to see this momentum building. But as you said, and I think this is a really interesting point, there are a lot of challenges in taking that to the next phase. And I guess, you know, that's what your members are probably dealing with right now. Absolutely. And I like to quote Jamie Sweeting from Planetera, who, who said, uh, you know, community and sustainable travel is, is so hard to get right and so easy to get wrong. And, and it's no judgment on anyone. It, it is very, very hard to figure out how do you how do you bring people into a place 
that they enjoy it and they'll pay for it and they don't destroy it. They don't overrun it. And this is a challenge everywhere in the world, including my little town here in, in Colorado. You know, we, we've seen over tourism with rafting and, and so it's not a, it's not a regional thing. It's, it's actually, it's a global thing now. And, and part of it is, is beautiful because people are more and more motivated to connect with nature, to connect with local people. But how do we do this at a, at a rate that it does not fundamentally change the place and the culture? And, and anybody who says they have a formula for that is kidding themselves. It, it is very specific. It's very local. And that's why I think it's super important to have small local operators who truly understand the ground to help guide it. And it, it can be very successful. Like I, I think about Bonito Brazil, which has this incredible, incredible ecosystem that anybody can go and book a tour and swim down this river and snorkel down this river. And you feel like you're, you're the only people there, but that's because they've managed it so, so carefully. And so the operators are making money. The local businesses are making money, but it took some real effort to say, we're not just going to blow this open and throw in a thousand room hotel. Yeah, all good points there. I referenced the pandemic, and of course, we we have to talk about that to all our guests because it had such a a consequential effect on travel and tourism around the world at different rates, and the recovery speeds have slightly have been slightly different. But what were the challenges for the ATTA of of surviving the pandemic? Oh, it was it was grim. You know we we are we are based on the lifeblood of the industry, and so when the industry went down the tube which happened for most, most companies in travel. Um, it was very, very serious for us too. And, you know, we, we really tried to buckle down and cut everything that didn't matter for that day and for that moment. And we also applied for the government loans, which we actually did not get at first. And we had to reach out to some private, private organizations to get through it because it was so extreme. We, no, no one saw how bad this would be. And, you know, the ATTA, our, you know, our business is based on convening the community. And so events went off the cliff and we went to online events, which are, I like to joke, it's like a, it's like an off, off brand bandaid. It, it, it sort of works. It did, it did the job, the online events for a little while, but our industry has to get together and have to build the trust, build the relationships. So for us, it was, it was very, very hard for a year and a half, two years. We, we rode the ragged line like most of our members and we, we did everything we could just to stay connected, to provide resources we leaned on all of our friends. Uh, I'll give you a, a tiny example. I had a friend who had a CFO outsourcing company and he, they were doing great because people were looking for their services and they donated time for ATTA members. They said, anybody 
who needs financial advice, um, show up and we'll do it for free. So we, we leaned on all our friends. We cut everywhere, everywhere we could and believed that adventure travel on the other side would come out and, and be all right. And that's been the case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so to that, as, as you've already said, sustainability really is at the heart of, of ATTA's core values and not just sustainability in terms of the environment, but sustainability in terms of local communities and that economic value that it provides as well. I mean, as we've been coming out, um, even during the pandemic, right, a lot of governments worldwide were talking all about sustainability, how there was going to be a reset, how they want to go for quality tourists. You know, as we are now coming out of this pandemic phase, was that just lip service? Are we are you seeing on a kind of a global level any real action towards that, towards a real change in mentality? That's a great question. I I will say that I, I see more hope now than I did pre-pandemic for thoughtful tourism. And thoughtful being imagining what it how it impacts the local community what are the environmental effects i i am encouraged i at at the same time so i'm i'm kind of conflicted on this question because at the same time i feel a pressure from some parts of the industry to just get back let's get back let's get back to the numbers let's get back to 2019 and you know move on from there so I, I really do feel like it's coming down to individuals making decisions in their positions. Are they a powerful government decision maker? Are they a small tour operator? Is it a journalist who's just deciding, like, I'm, I'm going to help create the future? And I think the jury's still out, Hannah. I think that there's signs of really, really amazing stuff happening. I can, I, I won't do it here because it's not appropriate, but I can name three or four tourism ministers who are absolutely crushing it, in my view, on making tourism more healthy for their countries and they're, and they're receiving a lot of heat. And then I think that there's a lot of players who are trying to get back to normal, which I understand, I understand. Like there's all these businesses and people that need things to go back to where they were. Um, but I think with the, the climate crisis, we're looking at this going, I think we all need to really take a hard look and say, how are we going to do this differently? And should we be building product for just what the customer wants? Or should we start building for what we need as a, as a society, as a destination? And it's a hard decision because it isn't always financially the best decision. Thoughtful tourism. I hope you've uh, trademarked that, Shannon, because I think I'm going to steal that from you. That's a great phrase. <laughs> and you've also set my mind racing up which ones are, are those uh, tourism ministers who are crushing it right now. But let's bring it to this region specifically. And this year in September, you will be hosting your ATTA World Summit in Asia Pacific here in Japan. Yeah. Can you tell us about why was Japan selected and have you hosted that summit in Asia before? No, this is the first time we've done the Adventure Travel World Summit in Japan. And the the Japanese contingent approached us, I think it was six or seven years ago, 
and said, you know, we, we want to figure this out. We know we're a ways from it and let's, let's start the process. And so it's, it's been a beautiful relationship with Japan. Like it's, you know, we're, we're working with private public and every, you know, media, every, everything in between. I'm very, very excited that our first summit in Asia is in Hokkaido. It's a beautiful destination. You know, we're, we're working with so many organizations within Japan that want to see this work for the long term. That is our driver for the ATTA. We don't want to come in and do an event and be measured on the bed nights. If, if the bed nights and the, you know, the spend of the, the delegates is good, that's great. But to me, that's, that's gravy. The long term is, have we helped the, the tour operators who operate locally connect properly with the international buyers? And do the media have stories they can tell that will resonate with their audiences that can send people to Hokkaido and, and the rest of Japan? To me, that will be the success measure. So we are super excited about Hokkaido. It's September. It's focused on adventure travel, nature culture activity. And so far, it's been very smooth. I'm, I'm sure we're going to sell out within the next two months. Yeah, I mean, and as someone who's on the <laughs> very much on the ground for organizing it. Um, yeah, I, I think the... You know, when, when you go now and meet um, ministries in Japan, they all talk about AT. They even just have a nickname for it. They don't call it adventure travel. They just call it AT. Yes. Um, and they'll be speaking <laughs> Japanese and then yes. you'll hear AT and then Japanese uh -huh. again. Um, so it's really, um, yeah, something very that they're really interested in. And, and um, we had uh, Kuromochi and Kyoji Kuromochi, who um, is, is pretty senior at JNTO on the podcast last year right Gary and um again he was sharing I think about how 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 central they see adventure travel being to Japan's strategy of you know really diversifying their tourism product getting people out into those rural areas as well which of course you know is suffering so much with people leaving them and they they see this as a way to support that that those rural um less visited places too so Bringing it back to you then with our, our final question, Shannon, you know, what are your aspirations for adventure travel in 2023? And do you see new opportunities to explore still? I do. I, I think that I can, I can confidently say that five to seven years ago, I think the travel industry at large looked at adventure travel as sort of this super thin slice, this niche, this, I, I'm going to joke here and say that it, it, it's sort of the, the hippie, the hippie part of travel. And I feel like we have absolutely graduated and that any, any serious travel company is trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that travelers are now asking to have a more authentic experience to get into nature you know, everybody has different risk tolerance. And so there's the people who, and, and I am not in this category, there's the people who want to go see the North Pole by foot. And then, then there's the people who want to push their own boundaries and walk into a place like Sapporo and go see nature, go, go hike, go 
learn about the Ainu culture. So I, for, for me, that like the, the big goal now is to not let adventure travel be totally commoditized, to, to have it keep its potency to be powerful, because I think that the most powerful experiences we have on our trips are with other people and with nature. And so to me, that is the core of adventure travel. And if we can help amplify that without it being commoditized or drowned out or becoming super basic and uninteresting, that that's what excites me. Because I think at the end of the day, that, that will turn people into better citizens of the world. They'll look around themselves and say, how do I take care of my environment, take a step for the climate, be aware of what local people are struggling with or, or need or what would make their lives better? Or how can I be a part of that and learn from them? To me, that's, that's the goal is to how do you scale that? I love that. I think that's a great ending to uh, to the episode for this week, that, that question. So, Shannon, thank you so much for, for coming on the, the show today. It was uh, super interesting to hear all of that from you. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm honored. And so that brings this show to a close for the week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on anything we discussed with Shannon or anything we missed out. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yep. And as always, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And of course, you can find us on any international podcast platform. So that's a wrap for today, but we'll be back to talk more Southeast Asia travel and tourism with you soon.